Greetings, comic book nerds, and welcome to episode 21 of the Pull List Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Hector. Welcome, hey. Hector. How's it going? Hey! So, oh, we are... It's a thing now. Go. It's a thing now? We're ready to talk about the comics, so go ahead, strap yourselves in, and prepare yourself for We've Got Comic Sign. Uh, better put the word out. Can't wait for the nerd out. On today's episode of The Pull List, we've got another amazing show for you. We're going to hit all the latest news, including Marvel bringing back Morbius this fall, Valiant goes back to the fan favorite of Rye, and Grant Morrison pulls quite possibly the most Morrison thing possible with the Green Lantern Corps. All that and our pulls from the last couple of weeks for This Is The Pull List Podcast. So moving right on into the news for this week, Hector, I think you and I kind of talked off the air, such as it were, before we got started, that there didn't seem to be a ton of stuff. I mean, there's some craziness going on out there with, like, Superman and Supergirl this week, but you know what? You could go to the internet for that because everyone truly <laughs> is speculating on why those two books got pulped, um, and I, I don't think it's really worth diving into until we find out actually what happened. Was it a misprint? Was it deliberate? You can go ahead and Google and find out what happened on the latest Superman and Supergirl. If that turns into something, we'll definitely talk about it next time around. But I don't feel like giving credence to like super speculation at this point. And there's much more interesting news. Like like I said right at the top of the show, we're Marvel is gracing us with the living vampire himself, Morbius. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> yay? Question mark. Well, as a lot wait, of you wait, probably, wait. yeah. So okay, I know that you know the bulk of this is you know to build up to a movie, right. but yep, and it's a Sony owned thing. So yeah, this is that's another what I'm one getting. Of Sony versus versus Marvel. Um, so is this so... Marvel just trying to? Is this Marvel trying to beef up the success of Sony's movie, or is this Marvel trying to milk the success of Sony's movie? Well, if you're asking Chris, I'd have I'm to make Chris. Yeah, the the my wager is that's Marvel. Uh, we gonna make that money, however that money get printed. Um, okay. Because yeah, otherwise I don't really know. I mean, it's an interesting character. Um, like, do you happen to know the history of why he is the living vampire? Like I knew back in the day, but now, nah, dude, I don't remember. Right. So, little bit of random trivia for all of you that might need this on a Marvel trivia night. The reason Morbius was listed as the living vampire is back during the days of the comics code, having zombies and things of the undead and such were so taboo. That's why we didn't technically have zombies for a period there. And we didn't have vampires because the undead was a thing that we couldn't do. So in their infinite wisdom, they gave us the living vampire. So he's not undead. But he still wants to suck your blood. So I'm not dead yet. <laughs> not quite dead yet. I got but better. He... I feel happy. So there you go. You you now have some interesting Marvel trivia to suck in your back pocket for the next time someone asks you why on earth is he known as the living vampire. So there you have it. Marvel is definitely trying to bring that cash cow to bank. But here's hoping maybe it won't be a terrible book. I'm looking forward to it being something. Well, um, he was really good in Domino. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, because and that's true. They were kind of working him back in slowly. And I enjoyed him in Domino, and actually, they did some really interesting vampire things with the Domino arc. So I mean, he's not a terrible character. And I remember with the like the Spider-Man the animated series, um, I really enjoyed him on there. Uh, do I like the idea of Jared Leto being Morbius and we getting that? I like no. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's, it's something not, I don't think any of us asked for, but here we uh, are. Yeah, I would rather, you know, yeah, no, that's just, I don't care, but well, I'll probably watch it. Sure. I don't think there's been a Marvel movie I haven't watched in theaters ever. So yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. It's not, it's not that Hector has a problem. He's just truly, really, really dedicated to it, but that's not <laughs> a knock on him. That That's a good thing. I'm, I'm on that Kevin Smith level of, I'm grateful we live in an era, era where we get superhero movies. So I'm going to show up and pay you my $8 or $10 or $9, whatever, just so that they keep happening. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree. I tell people exactly the same thing that when I heard Kevin Smith talk about that, it's, yeah, we can rip these movies and shows apart limb to limb, but c- could we stop for a hot minute and remember some of us spent a good part of our lives with nothing? Nothing, maybe a cartoon or two, but definitely no major motion pictures, etc. So, yep, take my money. I want it to still be a thing. Yeah. So, um, on the other side of things, in some of the smaller publishers, um, but one of my favorites, uh, Valiant Comics is bringing back a fan favorite in their character Rye this fall. So, November is kind of the month of new releases because you're going to see that Morbius book in November as well. But in November, Rye will be coming back to the Valiant universe. And if you haven't read Rye, um, I dropped the things in there. That's one. Rye is actually what got me into Valiant. Um, Such vivid colors, interesting background story. It's kind of like a cyberpunk-ish type story. And I don't want to give away much, except it's kind of a Japanese lore slash Ronin lore type story told in a cyberpunk type universe. So if you're all about super vivid colors, really great action and that kind of thing, it's why a lot of Valiant fans have been sitting there going, can we get some of the old hotness back and make it the new hotness? And well, if you're a Valiant fan, you are getting your wish this fall with the return of Rye. Now Rye had been kind of worked back into the Valiant stuff with the Fallen World crossover that occurred a couple months ago, but seeing him in a standalone again is something honestly that will have me picking up a few more Valiant titles this fall. And then on to DC World, we're actually covering kind of all the bases this week, which is awesome because I think it was last episode or episode before it was like, hi, we're here and we're just going to read DC's press list. Um, so I'll I like, take that I like... job if DC <laughs> is offering, cause you know, I got you and, uh, go hit me DC. We right, can be friends. Me up. Yeah, we can be friends. You can be on the podcast. Please be on the podcast. Um, which, you know, on that note, uh, in a week and a half, um, the lady that plays crazy Jane. Oh, right. Is going you to have, be you have local news. Yeah. A sp- doing a speaking engagement in Pembroke, North Carolina at UNC Pembroke. Um, and I'm going to do my darndest to have a conversation with her because the lady that is the box office manager of said theater, uh, is my production person at church. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try and see what we can do there. You got those connections. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. So maybe a crazy Jane interview. 
But, you know, CDC, I can do things. Don't forget me. <laughs> so this will, be, this will be part of your portfolio. But, yeah, back to the yeah. podcast. Um, <laughs> so Green Lantern has been flying its happy little Grant Morrison way through the universe here for about a year now. And it's been announced that issue number 12 is going to be the end of that run. But that's probably not the most interesting part of this story is a Grant Morrison told one of like he told a Grant Morrison story. It was absolutely bonkers. Space cops, crazy aliens, every everything. It was bonkers. We've we've talked about it a couple times, but the most interesting thing here is it's already basically been alluded to, slightly confirmed, sort of announced that towards the end of twelve there's going to be absolutely no Green Lanterns present in the universe in DC. We're not really sure how we're going to get there, what the event is going to be that causes this or whatnot. But it's, it's going to be the House res- of Lanterns. No more Lanterns. Of, right. Because um, they've showed a couple panels that it's literally, you know, they're searching for Lanterns and it's like, nope, nothing. Nope, nada. And we see the introduction of the black stars and there's going to be a three issue mini that's going to tell the story of this new group that supposedly is either looking for the core or is replacing. And some of those details are the pieces that are kind of working themselves out in the story. But it it seems kind of Grant Morrison that things have been completely off the wall and we're going to end up in a universe where there's, there's no rings. There's, there's nothing. So it's, it's interesting and especially given the continuity of Rebirth and where we've ended up today with all the other things going on between Event Leviathan, um, Year of the metal, Villain. Right, Year of the Villain and Metal actually literally kicking off all of this insanity where they were kind of like, it's going to be important, but it's not. Well, well, kids, it's really freaking important <laughs> is what we're going to more than likely talk about during some of our polls um, for the week because... Yeah, um, I I do. I, we we've obviously said before we really are been happy with what DC's been doing lately, but um, they're they're really firing on all cylinders in terms of their events and everything. That as much as I know, Hector and I mentioned this last episode of it can get really really bogged down in the details when you have to read forty trillion books just to know what on earth is going on, but at least for the time being between all this stuff, DC has my attention and I keep finding myself staring at the rack going, ah, dang it. <laughs> yeah. I want to know. Which by the way, you mentioned that, uh, you know, that they would be getting in our pulls, you know, might for future consideration want to examine a Bubba Sparks song called getcha a pull for our new theme song. Um, probably not, but you know, I just wanted to be able to mention Bubba Sparks. So go ahead. Well, now that that's happened, Hector will <laughs> thank you for listening to the Pull List podcast. Uh, we're very happy for all of you to be with us on this journey every week. Um, Cause we've hit peak Hector. I don't see the point in going on. No, we probably should go on. Okay. Um, so as we said, there's kind of, not a lot of like super heavy news this week, but we wanted to get some of those upcoming books that are coming. We gave you a huge dump of new books the last couple of weeks. So if you missed an episode or two, you can jump back in time there and listen to the last two. I think we mentioned a ton of like the Halloween and horror stuff that's coming out. October, November tends to be either beginnings of new stuff or hitting fall event 
get us into the winter so we can get back to the summer cycle. So it can be a little hit or miss in terms of there being a ton of news or not a lot of news at all. But that's the news, and you can always join us in the conversation. Um, Hector may or may not bring up Bubba Sparks in that conversation, but yes, you can find us on Love Thy Nerd Facebook community, and you can just search for that, Love Thy Nerd community, and ask to join. And there's a ton of other geeks just like us hanging out there, and we talk about this stuff a lot. Like right now, we actually are going on a multi-day conversation about House of X, Powers of X. Hold up, saving it for the podcast. We're going to get there. But... We talk about this stuff on a daily basis, so join in with us and be part of the conversation. So let's get in to our polls. And as we kind of alluded to during the news, there there's a lot of stuff going on. And Hector and I were going back and forth as we were prepping for the show He's like, oh, you listed all the good books. It's like, well, yeah, there's there's, there's a lot of good books. This there's week. a lot of good books. <laughs> it, the last the last couple of weeks have been just really solid for comic book content, and I've been I've been pleasantly pleasantly surprised. And let me go ahead and put this out there. Take a deep breath. Prep yourselves. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Last week, I bought more Marvel books than DC. Shut the front door. That happened. It totally happened. And a significant amount more. Not just like one. I bought a lot more Marvel last week than I did DC. So that's a thing. Merry All Christmas. Right. Well, <laughs> well, let's... Yeah. Um. So all of our fellow... Uh, our Marvel fans from the community, um, you're welcome. This this is your episode. I'm pretty sure this is your episode. Looking at my notes, so yes. so Hector, uh, let's 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 jump right in and give them what they want to hear. So so um, start up absolute carnage. Um, absolute carnage number one. Uh, I remember really being a '90s comic book reader, and one of the you know I was around for the death of Superman and things like that, and. Batman getting his back broken, all those things. But I remember what made me want to read comics, especially Marvel comics, was uh, Maximum Carnage. Um, Just the visuals that Mark Bagley put on paper. Or Bagley. I don't know what it is. Um... I forget that. Um, but whatever. Whatever Mark was drawing on covers of comics. Just for me, there was that one iconic cover that had yellow. And it was Venom and Carnage fighting on the cover. And I didn't know anything about Spider-Man at that point. But that book made me want to read comics. Especially Spider-Man ones. And so when I saw that they were doing another big Carnage run... Uh, you know, and it had a very maximum carnage feel to it, especially with the titling of Absolute Carnage. It's like, you know, we upgraded. It's not just maximum, it's absolute. Um, but they've done some really neat stuff in the Venom, Spider-Man, Symbiote, Carnage world lately of, you know, there's the their god, what is it, Null? Like, he's the god of nothingness. Um, like, that. that's something tied in there. But I picked up absolute carnage number one just because i'm i I will pick up a number one just to see what's up in general no absolutely the same which 
my comic book provider absolutely loves me before, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was an issue a while back called the Web of the Cult of Carnage or something like that. And um, it was an interesting thing that was the fallout and, I guess, a prelude to what we're looking at now. But just this idea of an overwhelming, sentient, uh, deity-focused carnage coming after all of the Marvel Universe is a bit bananas. Now, I will say this. The overload of covers for these issues is obscene. Um, well, we we can take a hot minute break there for the... If you haven't noticed, for comic book fans, uh, you can kind of tell. Marvel goes big on multiple covers at number one, which means a lot of collectors and retailers have a love-hate relationship with this, right? Um, because completionist, we we exist. I, I said we because I'm one of those guys. And I just remember, to give you the extreme example... When Star Wars number one, when Marvel reacquired the Star Wars uh, IP and started again at number one, I have to go back and double check because I feel like they keep adding titles, but it is easily north of 50, possibly close to 100. It's somewhere between 50 and 100, not joking. Um, variants that they did for that because I remember when they titled them, usually variant covers are titled cover, you know, the main covers, cover A, cover B, C, that I seem to recall, like if you go too far on Excel spreadsheet and you start getting double and triple letters, yeah, same thing. Um, that's, that's just a metric ton of, of variants and whatnot. And they keep doing it, but I have to imagine they keep doing it because we keep buying them. So, here we are. So, there were so many covers, you know, just browsing through this, I thought it was bananas. But either way, it's a solid story, and I'll say this. It was some of the most fun Spider-Man and Venom interaction I've read in a book. It was enthralling. Like, literally, you know, there's a scene with uh, Norman, Spider-Man, Venom, and Carnage that I'm literally had had to sit up off my couch a little bit more straight up just to prepare myself for what I'm reading. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, there's some stuff with Eddie Brock and his kid and which is a new thing I didn't know about. Um, I'm pretty sure I've missed some stuff, but there was some stuff there with that, but, uh, absolute carnage number one, uh, you know, you can Wikipedia what you've missed, but honestly, if you, remotely have any enjoyment for spider-man and venom or you are a fan of the you know maximum carnage series you should pick this up on the flip side um just yesterday i read absolute carnage separation anxiety um which you know takes place in that same universe but i'll say this it is the most horrific comic book i've read in recent memory Oh, I'm sorry, y'all. We we probably should have warned you that that had a trigger warning in advance of it that Hector was going to say nice things and then completely destroy you. No, 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 don't, don't, don't miss this. Don't misunderstand. Okay, go on. Um, tell me, tell me more. Not not horrific like it was a bad book. Horrific like it was horrific. Like oh, like I can read a horror comic book with 
out flinching. That doesn't concern me. Like, this was terrifying and scary and horrible um, uh, and psychologically wicked. Um, so when I was saying it was horrific, I'm not saying it was a bad book. It's a wonderful book. It's worth your money. But it, dear God, it's psychologically terrifying. Um, I uh, take the, back everything. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, absolute carnage, separation, anxiety um, is four symbiotes traveling around inside of a stray dog. The stray dog wanders onto the porch of a little girl whose parents are divorcing and are abusive and their family is separating and she hugs the symbiote filled dog and says, I just want us to be together as a family. So the dog then proceeds to go into the house and each symbiote takes a member of the family in control. And it turns into a horror story of these, you know, malevolent symbiotes trying to force a little scared child to be a part of a like murderous experience. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm uncomfortable and I haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, like literally you're, you're seeing this little girl watch her mom and dad become evil and her and her little brother running through the house, trying to fend their lives off. Um, it, it literally, it made me uncomfortable. Um, so maybe there's a trigger warning attached to this. It made me ridiculously uncomfortable to read. Um, so good job. Yeah. Um, slow, slow clap. Not even going into October yet. Uh, no, it, and this, this was way better as a horror story than any horror book I've read from DC or Marvel. Wow. So October, uh, yeah, Marvel DC, you're on notice. <laughs> Step your game up because you got work to do. Um, so there's that. So well done because I was not expecting that when I opened the book. And I saw where it was going, but literally it was like, you, you remember that Sesame Street book? And I think, you know, Christ and Pop Culture just did an article on it too. But the, there's a monster at the end of this book and it's like uh, – that Grover, every time you flip the page, is getting more scared at what's coming. This was me reading this <laughs> book. That I was more scared every time I turned the page. Um, so there's that. Uh, <clears throat> moving away from Marvel and all their scary things. Um, Detective 1009. Um, if you were listened to our last issue, you heard me say lots of mean things about Detective 1008. <laughs> Um, that's, that's true. <laughs> uh, and so I almost didn't pick this up. Now, first of all, this has Mr. or killer, or not what is it, Mr. Freeze on the cover. Again, if you're going to throw a cover, a book away because the cover is not accurate, throw this one away. Um, because the story is not about Mr. Freeze. Um, like the story is not about Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze is an aftershot after the credits. It's a dead shot story. Like, completely. <laughs> okay. So, was that just a thing that they did this week? Because that was also... What was it? Um, was it the Batman Who Laughs? 
it, one of their other books had Sergeant Rock on the cover, and it wasn't actually it. Or was that Deceased? deceased. It was another DC book, but it that had Sergeant deceased. Rock on the cover. And everyone was like, yeah, Sergeant Rock. And it's like, nope. Mm-mm. Yeah, Just kidding. No, Mr. Freeze is an after credit thought at the end of this book. Um, the entire book is about Deadshot. Um, which, by the way, way to freaking yo-yo because it went from d- d- 1008 being horrible to 1009 being one of my favorite detective issues I've read in a while. Um, where it's Bruce Wayne being Bruce Wayne and, you know, manipulative good ways dealing with business stuff with Lucius Fox and Deadshot. Um, Deadshot hijacks a plane that just happens to have Bruce Wayne and all of Wayne, like Wayne Incorporated Industries, whatever, on it. And it was legitimately a good book. Um, It was a great Deadshot story. It was a great Bruce Wayne story. Um, if, If, you know, whereas I felt like 1008 was pandering, 1009 is what detective comics should be. If if Detective 1009 is what every book was going to be like, I would make a lifetime subscription. So there's that. Um, and I really, it's the start of an arc that's going to be dealing with Deadshot, and Mr. Freeze is going to be like an afterthought. Um, but seriously, this is worth reading, Detective 1009. Um, flipping over to the manga end of the street, which I know it's not technically a comic book, but it's a comic book. Um... You'll allow it. Um, My Hero Academia, Volume 20, um, the graphic novel manga, was great. Uh, They introduced a character called the Gentleman and his little creepy child sidekick uh, in the previous volume. And this was just almost... The entire book was basically just Deku fighting this one bad guy and the exposition and self-examination and all these things. And it was a great Deku book. Um, if you like Deku and you like my hero, you're going to love volume 20. Um, but then they flip over to one of their random things where the kids put on a talent show and you get to see the entire, my hero crew, uh, in, full band rock in sync mode. Um, and with Bakugo on drums, Deku being an interpretive dancer, um, headphone Jack girl as a lead singer who by the end of the book decides that she wants to be a hero by being a rock star instead of punching people. Um, but then interesting. Yeah. But, but by, because music can inspire people and it can, and save lives virtually. Um, yep. No, I, I I dig the message. I'll be curious to see how they develop that, uh, on the anime side as well. Well, and that's the thing. I, this episode in print literally made me pine to see what they do with this, where I actually hear this song. Right. When we get there. Yeah. When we get there, which will probably be a season or two, but, um, you know, I will refrain from spoilers, but there is a major casualty in the My Hero world at the end of this volume. Um, How dare you? So, just throwing it out there. Ma- major casualty. Um, huzzah. 
and that doesn't make me feel better about it go back to the songs help people feel better about themselves (laughs) it's an upbeat inspirational song about life um i would so by the way i just went on a five thousand mile road trip with my children um and i did not know that they knew all the songs from teen titans go to the movies but now you do but now i know that they do and they in harmony would be singing Teen Titans go to the movie songs in my freaking car. And I was ready to die. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, Batman secret files. Number two is, you know, just hitting that too. Remember how I said how much I disliked detective 1008, that it was a pandering Joker story and it was weak sauce. This issue Secret Files number two gave me the Joker story that I wanted in Detective Thousand Eight, um, and it was a you know it was a mixed bag of Batman stories, <clears throat> and not right. all the, of them the, not all the, of them were great. Yeah, and the important part for folks is Secret Files has kind of been going on and off um, for different things over the last year. Some of it was just connective tissue stories. This one actually was a city of Bane tie-in. So that was kind of the connective tissue on it, but yeah. So I had those anthology stories in it. Just wanted to help people connect that. Cause we're, I, we're probably going to talk about it. Well, maybe we're not actually, but city of Bane's still going on and 75. You know, what we should, seven, yeah. I'll just so, throw this out there. Boom. Like here the we last, are. The last issue of what seventy six um, was yeah, fantastic. I think it's all seventy six. Yep. Yeah. That that city of Bane story from the Batman mainline is going on, but it we're also seeing how it's kind of connected to the other things that are going on in the DC universe. So there's just a lot going on. But hey, um, at least Kite Man's back. <laughs> that is true. That is true. What did I watch? I watched recently where something where Kite Man died. Um, not remember what it was. I was watching something DC and Kite Man was killed in it. Um, anyway, but yeah, City of Bane. I'm not even going to harp on it anymore. That's great. Keep reading it. It's fantastic. Um, and then the last one. I don't know if we hit this enough or not. Um, but Batman Who Laughs number seven. I don't remember if we hit this hard. Um, or at all, but uh, I think it fell in our little break over the last couple of weeks while you were crossing the nation, and I was at uh, Gen Con in Indianapolis. So it we have to talk about it because it's kind of the it sounded like it's the formal end of the Batman Who Laughs line, but is launching us into the rest of what's going on. So continue. I was disappointed. Like yeah, looking well, yeah, looking, looking at that story as a whole. Overall, the seven issues I put into that, so the finances and the time, I feel like it wasn't a bad plot device, but man, it felt like an underwhelming event. Right, and it basically took us seven issues to get to the, okay, right, we learned in what, the first issue? That yes, if you become tainted by the blood of the Batman who laughs, you kind of become, you know, the Batman who laughs, you got the crazy thing going. So it's kind of like the ultimate version of Joker's, um, crazy gas, right? Except it's literally his blood and he's crazy. Um, so 
to go seven issues and to end up there as that was literally it and we're spoiler slash non-spoiler folks so if you need to pause the podcast right here and skip by like 30 seconds cool but basically right the blood taints you you become the batman who laughs or you know some type of evil version of yourself the end of this book basically lets you know that there are people within the dc universe proper good people the good guys that are clearly either going to be are or about to be um tainted and become the evil versions of the evil doppelgangers of themselves so you've been warned um but i kind of agree other than it being capullo and snyder back together and man it was graphically pretty yeah i, I kind of at agree, times it it just kind of it got us to where we just said and that's it <laughs> but yeah that's that's it for me. That's the stuff I was involved with and intrigued with. What about right. you? So um, I actually have a fair amount of Marvel on my list too, but I'll save that. And I'll talk about, because I think I mentioned it last time as well, is we got to Unnatural number 12, the end of the Unnatural story. And... I'm not sure how you felt about where we ended up. I thought the overarching story was pretty good. I might have felt slightly underwhelmed by the ending, but only because I didn't feel like it wrapped up. But then if you read on to the author's letter at the end of this book, because supposedly it's the end, and they did uh, the end question mark. Um, Not a question mark. Not a question mark. Um, So those of you that no comics usually say to be continued on the last page. If it's an ongoing or it'll say the end period. And you know, you know, it's the end or at least the end of that story. And when you get the end question mark, um, she basically said that not sure whether this story will continue, but obviously if you've read the story, you will see that there is some open endedness to how this particular arc ended and the author, writer, artist, same wonderful person, is deciding kind of as time goes on, she has other projects coming up, whether we'll revisit this or not. So it truly is a question mark. I thought it wrapped up well, but like I said, maybe not as definitive as an ending as I wanted. But at the same time, the book continued to be a really good 12-part story. And... It was very beautiful and definitely, as we've said before, has had its mature themes. So if it's something you're interested in, just remember it's it's got some mature themes going on. Um, but was a fun read and a fun it, experience. It was also very <clears throat> Game of Thrones in the fact that they laid the heavy, mature content in the earlier issues. Like, the, like Game of Thrones had more adult stuff in the first couple seasons than the rest of the story. <clears throat> So right, nope. That's that's absolutely fair. Um, so I think you would hear Hector and I have talked a lot about it from the beginning to now. That is probably worth picking up if you're interested in it. But just be aware. She also has um, a new book. What was the book at the end that it previewed? Oh, oh, Dread. I set it down because that looked really good too. Because what did they say? It's like Penny Dreadful slash something else. Yeah, hold on, I got it. It's um, yeah, it's called. It, it looks pretty awesome. 
Yes. It's called Mercy. It looks like Castlevania art from like the old games. Um, and this is Penny Dreadful meets Dark Shadows in the new Goth-inspired Victorian monster series. So, yeah, yeah, we'll go look. We'll go looking for a a link to that preview for you guys if we can find it on the interwebs because that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And so I guess so I can end talking on the Marvel thing. I'm going to bring up my other. We kind of covered all of the DC stuff and your stuff. So I also read Once in Future, number one, which is a Boom Studio books. And it's from uh, Gillen, who's currently doing Die. Die is also really great and had another wonderful issue as it returned from its like little short break with issue seven. And so Die continues to be awesome. But Once in Future... I didn't know what to think of this book because as I was reading it, it's kind of all over the place, but it's fun. And basically, um, some spoiler, but not really. The setup is you're kind of introduced to kind of a bumbling dude that's like a history professor or something. And he's having like the worst date on the face of the planet ever, spilling wine on his date and stuff. And he's he's just kind of that guy. Um, gets a call that, you know, his grandma is bailed on the nursing home. And he's like, oh, I got to go say grandma. And trust me, this is going somewhere. Um, (laughs) That finds his grandma in the middle of the woods digging up this trove of weapons. And you find out that grandma isn't who she claims she's been. And she was some type of a cult hunter, you know, a la supernatural type person for like her entire life. And she got some kind of vibe that something was about to happen. And all this is going down in England, in Great Britain. And so her her grandson gets introduced to the world of crazy supernatural creatures that he's never seen before. All because she got the inkling that someone was going after Excalibur, which she happens to have in her possession. And that's kind of where the story step up, steps off that you find out that some quirky grandma and her grandkid um, has Excalibur and that there's some group of nondescript folks that are looking for Excalibur because they want to raise King Arthur to save Great Britain. Cool. Good talk. Right? <laughs> uh, the art is beautiful. the worst Monty Python sketch ever. Right. And that's what's really funny because, like, one of the exchanges was, well, wait, so King Arthur's sword? And Grandma's like, no, no, Lady of the Lakes sword that she loaned to King Arthur. Nice. (laughs) Watery tart passing out swords. Passing out swords seems like a very questionable form of government. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We're also up to, like, four Monty Python references in one episode, which means I think we're over our limit. Oh, no. But uh, yeah, Once in Future, you should check it out. And for all you cool folks back in North Carolina, uh, my old shop uh, has one of the exclusive covers for it. And you should be seeing that, I think, at one of their cool events this week. So I'll plug them. You should check them out. Go see Ultimate Comics if you're in North Carolina uh, this month, because I think it's this weekend or next weekend. Um, You can actually get that. 
because it came out this week. So good times. Good times. So I think that leaves us into the wonderful world of Marvel. And Marvel. I'll start with Daredevil and Daredevil number nine, because we've been talking a lot about this arc of uh, no devils, only God. And Chip Sadarsky is writing some pretty profound stuff here. Yeah, dude. Um, This entire book was literally like the only thing I will say from it, because you need to pick it up is Murdoch's been going kind of person to person, like literally asking those, you know, is my faith sound or am I crazy? Should I believe these things? Like legit stuff. I think he's looking for, you know, the spiritual justification that it's okay to be daredevil. Um, Yes. And he's looking for that validation in a lot of different places. But I think the most fascinating interaction from this book, which was really fun to read, was we have the Fantastic Four back in the Marvel Universe right now. So Matt literally sits down with Reed Richards while they're playing chess and kind of have this back and forth. And Reed's like, why why me? I'm the scientist. I'm like literally the guy that probably isn't the guy you should ask. But still was a really amazing conversation back and forth. And so, um, again, Daredevil as a book always seems like there's usually great action and everything. But one thing I've always loved about the history of Daredevil is at the same time, we come back to the fact that Daredevil is Matt Murdock, a broken man who's blind (laughs) that struggles with real stuff every day. And it really just it hits me because it's old school has that great old school Marvel feel of it's not just that these superheroes have superpowers, but they're human beings. And Daredevil usually ends up being the foil that Marvel can tell those stories about faith and exploring and all of that. And this entire arc has just been like slam on in terms of having that conversation and what that conversation can look like. I don't know if there was anything else that jumped out to you because I know this was on your list as well. Yeah, honestly, dude, it was just when I saw that you had Matt Murdock asking Mr. Fantastic for is God real? Like I, you know, clenched my butt up. I was like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. Um, Like, you know, it's just one of those things you you can expect like a negativity towards faith or something like that in that capacity. But man. Reed Richards' response, like, was amazing. Um, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> it was, for me, it's it's not Batman 53, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, like, it uh, ended up getting real close. Yeah, and that's, you know, if it, the stuff at the end, end of the book is, like, what, like, knocked it down a notch from Batman 53. Like, <laughs> if it, it, you know, spoilers, I'll let you figure that out at the end. But like if it hadn't been for those last couple panels, this would have been a Batman 53 conversation of like, you need to buy this. Um, but then yeah, I'm like, no, <laughs> then I'm like, Oh Matt. <laughs> um, yeah. Matt, Matt Murdoch. I uh, hit the brick wall of you were being super existential and then you kind of became a bit primal. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy that. As he hit um, the brick wall. Great. Um, yeah. <laughs> go on with your Marvel tales, sir. So, 
for all of our Marvel folks, it's time for us to continue that wonderful conversation that so many of you have been dogging us, and that is to continue our conversation of what is going on in the X-Men universe. And it kind of looks like, depending on our discussion here, this might be our primary topic for today because there's a lot of stuff going on there. And we wanted to focus on comics again this week because we've been out for a while and there's been so much good stuff, but... So, if you recall, Hector and I, uh, we we came to our senses and we admitted after reading House of X uh, number one that uh, Hickman is setting up a story here that, okay, I'm I'm paying attention. I'm excited to see what X-Men is going to be and what it's going to become. And now we've had a few more books since then. Uh, Powers of X 1 and 2 and House of X 2 have come out. And so we know from the initial story that whatever is going on in this universe that Professor X and Magneto are finally aligning for the truly first time in X-Men history in agreeing that mutant kind needs to align and not separate itself on ideals to actually survive. So that's kind of a mind-blowing thing in and of itself to see the two of them in league and not just... I'm still waiting for the Magneto to be like, ha, ha, I'm still going to kill people to get my way kind of thing. And Well, that's the thing, um, dude. I don't think for, that for Xavier, Charles cares right. anymore. Right. And that's what I'm saying is I'm waiting I'm waiting for Charles to be the, oh, yeah, that's not how we play. But that's not the Xavier that we currently see. And I think the most amazing thing to me so far and really appreciating the X-Men and what's going on is – Again, Hickman is inundating us with information. If you haven't picked up any of these books, like everything down to the details and like splash pages and like little breaks in the story has information piled on top of information. But that's because, let's be fair, there's a ton of information that can be pulled from and to overlap. And he's trying to weave this universe back together the way that he wants to tell this story. So... It's going to take a lot of folks a lot of time um, to sort through some of the explainers. And as we find good stuff, we'll try to provide notes because <laughs> just understanding the X-Men timeline before Hickman started messing with it was complicated. But now things are super complicated. But don't don't mishear me. It It's complicated, but so far it's really good in terms of what's happening. And... I think one of the things that's just blown my mind the most, and I was like, oh, that's a real, this, okay, you have my attention, is everything that they're doing with McTaggart. Um, I don't know how spoilerly we want to go. Um, go, man, just go. Yeah, no. we need to go for it. <laughs> yeah, we need um, to go for it. That with Moira, um, who has always been this interesting connection and for folks that have enjoyed the movies and everything, Days of Futures Past, you kind of see how she jumps in and out of the timeline. But what we find out in the latest set of issues is the fact that the iteration that we have all known and love is actually the 10th version of her. That she has lived. Moira has always been a weak sauce character. She's been there, Correct. but she's just never done anything. And this is right. They, they rickroll us hard with this. Go on. Yeah, they rickroll us super hard in that not only is this the 10th life that she's lived as a mutant, um, 
that her mutant ability is that she remembers every single one of her previous existences and uses those experiences to attempt to manipulate what she needs to to end up where she needs to be. And just for the record, with her 10 lives, they're not like linear, like generations later. She reincar mutant ability is reincarnation. She comes back to the same point as born at the same time and lives in the same timeline. Uh, Attempting to adjust the pieces as she learns what she wants to manipulate or end up where she wants to be. Which I had to go back and there's, what is it? Four pages of timeline in the middle of Powers of X2 that actually show all of her life events. So if you're a super diehard fan, you're going to recognize a lot of the things that you understand from previous story arcs and everything all the way through to the new inventions of Hickman of literally how her starting over and over and over is actually how we got to where we are today. I'll pause for a moment to allow your brain to fold on top of itself. If you're familiar with a lot of the X-Men lore that as a comic book device of explaining previous existences and timelines and continuity. I didn't hate this. In fact, it's quite possibly the most X-Men thing possible. And there was some super neat interactions with that because they basically with the, the first time that she actually meets Xavier and then calls him by name. And he's kind of like, wait, who are you again? And she's like, just read my mind moron. And he's like, that's awkward, but okay. And then, like, literally the next panel is just wide-eyed Xavier, and he's like, okay, go on. <laughs> well, I have to say, too, the, um, what is it, the House of X issue two, which was the Moira ep- or book, is one of the best standalone comic books I've ever read. Um, if, you, if you had given me nothing but that, I would have said, this is a great book. Um, yeah, no, it was just telling that one story worked out really well. You know, it was very much an episode of a uh, black mirror or something along those lines of, uh, you know, a twilight zone situation, but it was extremely well done. Um, I'm a time travel fan. I meant like, I've got a kid named after a doctor who character. I meant this, it's my wheelhouse. Um, and for her to, for them to tell a story about shifting timelines and things like that, that played out that well, let, let, let's just say I would put it as far as comic book craftsmanship, I would put it in the ballpark of Fearful Symmetry from Watchmen. Ooh. No, and, and that's a really good point because they also did... Uh, yeah just how they told the reincarnation moments and visually laid out pages similar but you could then tell the places she manipulated each one yeah i i think it's one of those just as we're even having this conversation i'm like i actually need to look at this again because i remember subconsciously seeing a lot of it as i was reading it going okay right they're telling me that this is happening again but it's changing um that Yes. Um, This has me excited for the potential. 
even even all the way down to something as simple as one of the things that I literally said in our last episode that was annoying to me was in Powers of X where they were kind of showing the different timelines um, or the different positions in the bigger timeline, which is super confusing at the moment to me. And is the discussion going on in our community at the moment is uh, there's just a lot going on there. Um, well, and obviously it's going to go somewhere, but the tie back that I enjoy is they're actually showing me where those other teams of all those announced books at San Diego actually might be important. So I'm hoping that's not just lip service because if it all makes sense, then I'll be less angry than I was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. Like I bought Powers of X and I tend to do a lot of my reading late at night. Um, and I picked up Powers of X and I started reading it and I just put it down. I'm like, nope, this is confusing. <laughs> um, it it's, was it's late confusing. at night. I don't know these characters. I don't care about these characters. Um, you know, it's just like, it felt like um, it felt like I was reading the X Lee Fields, um, you know the <laughs> I was reading something that was loosely based on characters that I was familiar with, um, but then I finally like got a cup of coffee and sat down to read it, and I'm like, man, that was a really well told story, even though I don't know what's happening. Um, and I think that's the hard part about comic books. If this was a TV show, you can give a 15-minute section of a TV show where the audience has no clue because right. within 10 minutes, you're going to get all your answers. In a comic book, you've got two weeks or more or less, I mean, in this capacity. But that, that's just the thing. It's It was really good storytelling. So I'll say this. Powers of X and House of X are worth reading. But you're going to have to, this is one of those you really do have to buckle in for the long haul and be patient with the read. Because if you're not patient with the read, it's not going to be a fun process. No, I think that's absolutely true that the reading list that they have at the back of all these books, um, as I looked at it, I'm like, yep, uh, I need to be paying attention to this this time because... Hickman is literally unfolding all of the important stuff he wants you to know. So it's unfortunately, as you said, I do believe it's an all or nothing proposition in terms of figuring out what's going on. But hear us, at least what we're saying so far is, I mean, the powers of X, a lot of us kind of agree that that information is coming fast, loose, and is kind of confusing a little bit, but um, does seem important. But I guess if we had to say you have have to read House of X because that is definitely laying out the structure that I think is super important. And at a minimum, I think Hector and I clearly are in firm agreement that House of X number two just is an amazing comic. And this is where a lot of folks that have been fans of Hickman and what he did with Fantastic Four and and other pieces that you're you're really going to enjoy what's happening here. And like I said, from the beginning, the art is also just where I want to see an X-Men book that this is how I oh, close no, my eyes. And, this is and Jim Lee art, but not. Yeah, but not. <laughs> this is this is 90s X-Men at its best. So, yeah, um, for all of you that weren't sure we could say something nice about X-Men, well, here we are. We're saying well, I, dude, I think we're past that. I think... 
Yeah, I think we're now actually fans because, um, I mean, I'm probably going to be adding all this back. I looked at it today and I was like, I don't want to add more books, but I'm adding this. I don't know so, if I can go past House of X and Powers of X, but we'll see. Because I also wasn't planning on any of these Carnage books. And, oh, look, um, <laughs> books. So, whatever. Haha, <laughs> Marvel's found a way to take your money. Oh, I didn't realize it was that upsetting. I'm sorry. It's emotional. <laughs> Do you, if, you, if you need a moment, it's okay. We can, we, can, we can hug it out, and as a community, we'll be okay. All right. Good talk. <laughs> so was there anything else uh, from the X-Books from the last couple of weeks that you caught that is worth mentioning at this point? Just to amp people up even more than we've already said, but if you've ever been a fan of the X-Men, I, I would say now is the time it is the time to jump back in and see where the story's going to go. I, I don't know if it's quite there yet. Um, because I still think you have to be a pretty big, you know, nerd level comic book reader to do this and actually enjoy these things. Cause that's the thing we we're still on a setup level of, I, I don't know if it's going to be that big of a payout, but I am hopeful. Um, yeah, I would agree. We're we're four issues into a little more than ten in the on ramp. It might be twelve total. I forget. Um, but we are in the on ramp. That is absolutely true. Um, so they can mess it up. But so far, I would say each one has gotten slightly better. Other than you have to be able to allow your brain to traverse crazy amounts of information on the powers of X side versus the House of X side. If you love you some X-Men, and I know that there's some of you out there that have been waiting for that X-Men story that gets you hooked, that you need to at least start reading and see if you agree with us when we end up there at the end of the journey. So, but I think that's going to do it for us here on the Pull List Podcast for episode 21. It's now in the can and it's now in your ears. But we couldn't possibly do this alone. As many of you know, we take this epic journey of podcast and fandom with two other amazing podcasts that are part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. Humans of Gaming with Drew and Chris does interviews with game designers, producers, and creators and really gets to the heart of why they do what they do. Meanwhile, we have the Free Play Podcast as well with Bubba, Matt, and Kate, and they bring us all kinds of crazy nerdy stuff each and every week. Uh, everything from games to stuff going on in pop culture, movies and everything. They are just a wonderful nerdy catch-all of geeky stuff. And well, you know, it's no joke, super funny, and there's all kinds of other good stuff going on. But we also, um, a few months ago added the beard bros, which is a Facebook live video playthrough with Matt and Bubba, where they play some of their favorite new games that they are checking out. So you can watch those crazy two actually play games and, do all that kinds of wonderful stuff right at our Facebook community. So plenty of awesome stuff going on over at Love Thy Nerd and Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. You can check all of that out at lovethynerd.com and Love Thy Nerd on Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagram. But Hector and I do want to thank you for choosing us as your primary source of all things comic booky and generally nerdy on a near-weekly basis. So don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on your podcasting app of choice we're on the itunes spotify stitcher radio and so many more and as we said you can also find us at lovethynerd.com or the pull list podcast.com 
So thanks for listening, and remember, kids, read more about comics. The game of risk. The master of epic duel.